and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, soon to be joined here by my brother Brian, who's out on the road today. There is so much to talk about here, and our topic is how early is too early to plant when we're talking about wheat, corn, soybeans, uh, just crops in general. And we welcome your feedback and your comments at 844-44-AG-PHD. Also, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. When it comes to planting early, I know uh, we've we've always been big proponents of this, but you got to do it right because just putting seed in the ground is a problem. That's why our forefathers didn't do it. And we still hear people talking about old rules of thumb that they had growing up. Oh, you don't want your crop to see uh, the light of day until it's well into May or whatever. There's there's different things like that. And now we see guys planting earlier and earlier all the time with new technology that we've got. Brian, what would you say are some of the bigger things that have helped farmers be able to plant earlier? Number one, seed treatments. Number two, seed genetics. And number three, it's the equipment that we're planting with. So, I, I mean, there have just been so many improvements in agriculture, and I'll just real simply answer the question, when is it too early? I'd say if you're planting before the first crop insurance date, it's probably too early. But even then, I'm not saying you can't do it. You, you can just tell your insurance person, hey, this is what I'm going to do, just so you understand what the risks are. But we've had a lot of people doing that, planting before the first crop insurance date, whether it was corn or beans or wheat or whatever, and it's worked out pretty well most of the time. But you just have to understand the downside risk. The biggest risk in the northern part of the United States is, is it going to freeze off? So that's what I always get concerned about. Yeah, and then just keeping in mind where the growing point is on plants. And when you've got the growing point safely below the ground a couple of inches and in corn, for example, it's going to take some really cold temperatures to completely kill that. But a lot of times you will see a leaf or maybe two get frozen off above ground. I, I know guys in the South talk about that all the time. Man, I lost a couple leaves on that plant. It didn't die, but it lost a couple leaves. And you know what? It, it looked terrible for a while, but things turned out just fine. Now, on a broadleaf crop where all the growing points are above ground, that can be a little trickier. Now, they may be able to tolerate a little bit colder temperatures, but there's a limit, too. So you're right. You definitely can run into problems if it gets too cold. You know, when you think about uh, all the other challenges that we've got, I, I think one of the things that I see as a big challenge with early planting is just the soil conditions not being fit. And I know everybody gets excited, and a lot of times we look back on what we've done in past years. Oh, boy, we were planting by April 10th this one year, and, hey, let's let's do that again. Well, if April 10th comes and the, the field's just not fit, or it's fit in 75% of the field, but there's 25% that's just too wet, you can't push it too far. I, I've seen too many guys that, that have run into problems that you just can't fix. You end up with um, sidewall compaction or, or other challenges, and uh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to have to plant twice because you're definitely giving up yield if a few weeks later you realize my stand isn't what I hoped for and i got to do it all over again. So that, I'd right. say that and, soil and condition is a big deal. Yeah, it is. And so when you say when it's too early, I'm automatically thinking about date. But that's the one qualifier that I didn't throw out yet, too. The soil has to be fit. If the soil's not fit, then obviously you shouldn't be out there. And we do get a lot of questions because obviously uh, 
when we're farming, things aren't working out perfectly all the time. So the question is, how muddy can it really be? How much can I mud the crop in? If it's day one and I'm starting, I don't want to mud the crop in. But if it's day 67 and I'm down to the end and you're running into, well, I'm going to miss the last planting date for crop insurance, or I'm going to not be able to get a crop to mature before my fall frost, then that's where it gets debatable. And I'll be honest, we have mudded crops in sometimes, and it still turned out okay, but that's the last possible resort. And that, and there's no way I'm doing that on the early side. The only time I'd consider it is on the back end. Yeah, and if if it's a year that it keeps on raining, a lot of times you do get some forgiveness on that. But if it's a year where you mud it in and then the rains stop, that's where you really get caught. That that's a big problem, and oftentimes that's how it goes too. We see a lot of parts, a lot of areas, really around the world, that are catching moisture during planting season, but then the warm summer months come and the rains go away. And so you certainly can end up in this. And then the other thing I'd say, too, your soil type is going to make a difference. If you're low organic matter uh, and you don't have much forgiveness, if you're really high magnesium and it's very sticky, you don't have much forgiveness. So that's going to make a big difference, too. Yep, definitely. Well, when you think about this, the early planting thing is, is partly because farmers have had more acres to get in the ground and man, I got to get going on this so I can get done. But equipment is so big now. And with high speed planters, we end up talking to more and more farmers of even a medium size that say, boy, the planting thing isn't a big issue anymore because we can roll so fast. We can put so many acres in the ground if conditions are fit. Uh, And that's changed some things up too. And the other part of the discussion here with how early can I plant is the guys that have two planters that say, I'm going to plant corn and I'm going to plant so beans and we're going to do it from day one and we're just going to roll and so we get questions like that too the the soybeans the early planting most of the time it is going to reward you with yield and we've seen the same thing on corn where where if we get it in by that optimum date it's a big reward for us too and that's part of the reason we're having the topic today right but typically like in our area the plant, the first planting date for soybeans is two weeks or more after the first planting date for corn. So I don't understand the logic of planting corn and soybeans at the same time. We can get all our corn planted before the first planting date on soybeans. So yeah, it just depends on your situation and what you want to do for your farm. But the biggest thing we're always after is trying to maximize profit and typically early planting pace. Well, there's certainly some pros and cons to almost every practice in farming when it comes to early planting. How early is too early? Well, that's a big question. We'd love to get your thoughts on it. And if you have any agronomic questions as well, you can call us at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. 
Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other toughweeds pre and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. How early is too early to plant? Oh, it's a little bit different answer every year, and it may be different field to field on your farm. That's our discussion on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, get a guest on right now. we got Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG, because uh, Tony's got the answer to this, right? Tony, it's got to be easy, isn't it? How early is too early to plant? Oh, sorry, Tony. I, I, there I go. I'm sorry. I clicked the wrong <laughs> clicked the wrong button there. I put you on hold rather than put you on the air. That that doesn't work. Hey, not a problem. I'm. Uh, I always like listening to what you have to say. So, how early is too early to plant? You have to get this question often, and uh, you probably think about it for your own acres too. How early is too early? You know, I see guys plant. Uh, you know, I'm. My first thing is always you kind of think about frost dates. What's my risk of frost? And I'm uh, I start looking at uh, what the dates are and where the moon cycle is. You know, when's the when's the full moon and is the next full moon going to be late enough to uh, to miss it? And if it's uh, kind of getting there at the end of uh, April, especially into May, then I have a little more courage as to what I'm going to do. Uh, I see other guys who go out there and. Uh, Plant, you know, there's some guys like up in Minnesota. Their philosophy is beans first, when because you can get out there planting when the ground's not quite as good. You know, with the corn you want it perfect, and with the beans they're going out there uh, a little bit early. And I see some things there with the uh, I kind of think the frost dates, and I've mentioned to a few of them, and uh, they're just kind of willing to take the risk of uh, you know getting some crop out there and uh, if. If they're thinking the risk is somewhat minimal, they'll do it. And they're planting beans well before I am. And they're further north than me. And I'm, I'm always scratching my head on that one, just thinking, huh, it's... I don't know, Tony. You guys, you guys down in Iowa are just a little more conservative. Maybe that's all there is to it. That's, uh, that's we're, just, we're, we're a bunch of wimps when it comes to that. We don't want to get our, our tails handed to us. Well, and here's the other thing. If, if let's just say you're farming a few hundred acres and you can get them all planted within a week. 
well, what's the point in rushing? You know, at that point, hey, I got plenty of time here. Well, I'm not going to be in a problem. But let's say you're farming 10,000 acres and you say, man, it's going to take me at least a month of good conditions to get everything in. And I want to get everything done by the 10th of May because in my area, that's where yields really start dropping off. I got to roll and I got to roll early if I'm going to get this done. And I, I can understand that for, for guys farming more acres. It's probably a lot tougher decision. Yeah, no, it's um, definitely is. And, and the other side is that doesn't matter uh, corn or beans or whatever. Planting date is a high influencer on yield. The uh, They both list pretty high that uh, the earlier you got them planted and emerging successfully, the better your potential is for yield. Brandon hit on so a couple you, of couple of different angles on that uh, topic, just to to build on what you're saying. Uh, one of them is soil conditions, and when you think about it, you say, "Yep, we got to plant early to get the high yield." Uh, maybe if everything's right, but if those soil conditions aren't right, and you know, a lot of times we end up with uh, the last snow that comes, and the ground. I don't know what it is about ground, and I'm sure there's something biological happening here, but. It, it's just kind of slimy a little bit when that last snow is melting off versus when it's a rain. It seems like the ground cures up and it's great. Uh, what's what's the difference there and, and how do you handle that? Does it just mean after a rain you don't have to wait quite as long as after a snow? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Melting snow makes the worst mud. Uh, that's the way I always think about it. Uh, you know, I'd rather have mud from a rain than anything else. And... Uh, I, I don't have the end, like you say, biologic, but hey, look at the driveway. There's nothing biologic going on a driveway. Melted snow makes the worst mud. Yep. The, uh, the, um, in, uh, as, as far as that, here, I'll, I'll throw this back in kind of a, a thought slash question. When I talk to a lot of guys, and they'll talk on their soybeans that uh, they want conditions to be good but not perfect, and they'll start planting beans. And they'll do that. They'll keep their planter uh, running beans until conditions are perfect. Then they're switching to corn. My thoughts, my experience, my thoughts on beans is you can get by with a lot more with beans. Corn, you want it perfect. With beans, uh, they're not, uh, not as sensitive to sidewall smear. Uh, their, uh, their root penetration is better. Is that the correct way to be thinking about it? Well, I, they are a little bit more forgiving. I, I will definitely say that. It seems like corn, it's it's really fussy where beans can, they can tolerate some more things. But still, some of those tough conditions, if you end up a dry, uh, dry year later, it, it can come back and bite you later on in the season. We we see that more times than not. We might be wet in the spring, but, but uh, my grandma always said, I have never seen uh, a wet June that we weren't begging for rain by July. So I think, I think there's only been two times in my life. I can ever remember her proved wrong on that one. And if you dry mm -hmm. out later and you don't have full access to as much soil as you can get with your roots, it, it can oftentimes be problematic. I, I think about this too, Tony, with, with the soybeans. And I know uh, the, the dryland soybean yield holder for or yield record holder for our state, 
he likes to plant beans ahead too, but there's a date where he feels like his corn yields drop off so much more than beans that he will switch over to corn. So I know what you're talking about there where guys might put beans in for a little while, but there's a point where they say, I got to get the corn in. I have no choice here. Uh, and they're going to roll on corn. Um, so I think that that kind of gets to be one of those things, too, where you try and plan it out with your crop rotations as to how many acres can I tolerate. And then the other thing we think about is where are those acres at? Because we've got some river bottom ground that's pretty heavy, kind of sticky. And if we get a wet spring, it's going to be really tough getting in there. And then we've got some hills that are really light and we can get in there almost anytime. So we try and target what fields are available right now. And if, say, one of our hilly fields is perfect and it's fit and everything's great, whatever crop's supposed to go in there, corn or beans, that's the one we're planting today. And hopefully uh, if that river bottom ground ever comes fit, again, whatever crop we can get in there, we will. But Brian always cautions me because I own some river bottom ground and I'm I'm ready to get going. Hey, if the ground's fit, I really want to go. It might not be fit next week. And Brian's always telling me, hey, if we get a frost, it's your ground on the river bottom that's going to go first. <laughs> so be aware of that, too. So sometimes, depending on where your land lays, that's going to be a big limiting factor, too. Hey, let me, when you talk about the planting into that moist ground, like your river bottom, things like that, uh, you know, the, the thing that uh, forgives a lot of sins, uh, if you can never plan that timing, you get, you're very sure of having a rain to come in. And you're thinking, yeah, this thing's like 75, 80%. It's not where I'd like to be, but it's, it's really pretty good. But to me, if you, if you can plant that and get rained on that night or like the next day, you have a lot of sins forgiven with that. Is that what's your thought on that? You're kind of hitting on what happened to us. Just, uh, I'm trying to think if it was two years ago or three, there was a weekend coming up and my wife wanted to do something and go out of town. And, and she's like, oh, it's too wet. You're not going to be out there planting. Let's, let's go do it while we have time. And, and so I, I remember talking to, to Mike, our farm manager. I'm like, Mike, what do you think? And he's like, there's no way we're getting in that ground this weekend. And so I said, okay, we'll go. And so, so we left. Well, I get a call the next day from Mike. He's like, yep, got that field all planted. I'm like, there's no way. It wasn't even close yesterday. He's like, yep, but it was so close to being ready. And we had a rain coming. I knew it was going to be a long time before we'd have another shot. We just pulled the trigger and did it. And sure enough, it got dry after that. And there were some spots in that field that weren't great. But I, I guess in the long run, I was happy that he planted it because we still had close to a really good yield. And we probably wouldn't have if we would have had to wait another couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always the, tough decisions. That's the that's the hard part about farming that that you you think something's going to go and then the weather turns on you and it's completely different than what you had planned for. Hey Tony, we're up to our break here. Uh, really appreciate having you on. I know you're super busy this time of year. Uh, if you guys have questions for Tony, he's always available, which is one of the great things about working with Tony. Uh, you can check out his website at farmshopmfg.com. I know we've had a lot of questions about grain condition in the spring and and how to run those fans as it starts to warm up tony's a great source of information there and of course when we talk about planting into those tough conditions in the spring with the germinator closing wheel tony's really got something there that that you should take a look at too we'll be right back talking about early planting right after this the value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside that's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. 
As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest-yielding farmers, Updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. It's that age-old question, how early is too early to plant? And we're discussing that today. Obviously, there's a lot of considerations around it. Uh, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thank you for joining us. So we just had Tony Wendler on. He farms down in Iowa. And he was talking about, well, the guys north of me in Minnesota are doing this. How about the guys north of that up in North Dakota? We got Leo Bartolon on with us right now with North Dakota State University. Leo, I'm betting this discussion's a little bit different in North Dakota than it is in the state of Iowa. How early is too early to plant? Yeah, thanks, Derry, for having me you bet. here today. It's a pleasure. Yep, a big fan. So um, it's uh, I've listened to your show for a long, long time back oh, in the where I came from. Yep, and uh, yeah, this question is always pops up every planting season up here in North Dakota. So um, we did some kind of a demo uh, for early, early planting uh, several crops. 
So it's, it's, I'm going to use a, a very uh, common word for agronomists, kind of it depends. So, uh, <laughs> of course you are, Leo. Don't, don't yeah, take the easy way out, but okay, so explain. What does it depend on? Yeah, for example, in 2016, we were able to plant uh, several crops in March 11th. So, uh, for example, we got uh, 68 bushels of uh, spring wheat, 81 bushels of durum, and 106 uh, bushels of barley, and 93 bushels of oats. But in 2021, the story was totally different. We planted last year in March 18th, and because of we had a a very dry winter, I would say, and uh, we got non-crop emerging. So wow, it was very yeah, it was very very behind of the recommended plant recommended planting date, like more than more than a, a month, so Mar- March 18th, but we got. Uh, 18 crops planted and uh, we got nothing so uh, no crops were able to emerge because of the drought that we have and uh, comparing to this year luckily we have our ditches full of snow up here in north central north dakota in mina and uh, but in southwest part of the state uh, there's no much snow on the ground there's a little moisture so we do got some questions. Should we, you know, take a risk and put some seeds on the ground? And uh, I'm back to my word again. It depends. It depends <laughs> how, much, how much moisture do you have <laughs> and uh, how much uh, risk you are willing to take to put the crops on it. Yeah. So for corn, yeah, for corn here in North Dakota in 2016 seven, until 17. There was a study with corn in south southeast corner of the state. So if we anticipate the planting uh, for like April 20-ish, okay, okay, and you are lucky to do not get frost, you can get a, a, a very good yield. I mean, 170 bushels per acre. Okay. So that's something, uh, okay, but the problem is, uh we have a lot of uh frost last year we got frost coupled with our drought season too so we have uh, we have uh, we had frost uh, early in the season so like in the first week of may up here in north central north dakota so uh, our wheat uh got a little a little damage on it uh, some soybeans that we had in the field got damaged to corn. So it's kind of a complicated to do. It's very tem- There's a, a, a high temptation to, to put some seeds on the ground, considering uh, some high temperatures, no more snow on, on the ground. But, uh, oh, man, it's not easy. Yeah. I wish I could, I, I wish I could uh, um, have a crystal ball to, to put, per- you know, to understand better uh, the weather and uh, especially the frost, I think is the, the, the worst part of, of dealing with uh, early planting. 
You know, you mentioned a couple of things here. Now, you, you mentioned specific planting dates that you went out and, hey, some target dates like like April 20th. The guys would love it if conditions were perfect and, and they stayed perfect after that. But we always see a day or two or, or maybe it's even a whole week where guys that planted on that particular week had more problems than anybody else that whole year. And we see sometimes the same thing with herbicide performance where guys sprayed herbicides this week. Well, it didn't work, but it did if you sprayed a week before or a week after. Some of that comes down to nighttime temperatures. Some comes down to that moisture situation. I think, Leo, you hit a really good point there. My dad always talked about that, too. If we had good levels of moisture in the soil, uh, our soil temperature didn't change as fast as when we're in a drought. When it's all air in between the soil particles, that soil can cool down really fast or warm up really fast, and that can lead to that cold air getting deeper into the soil and actually impacting our seeds, Like probably like what you saw in 2021, where, man, we're just dry. We've got that condition going on right now on our farm, and that, that does make us a little nervous here, too. We've got a tiny bit of snow out there, but it'll all be gone by next week, and we won't be planting for a little while yet. we got another month before we're going to start even thinking about it. So that's going to be that time where if we don't get some rain, we're going to be in the same boat that, that your guys in southwestern North Dakota are in of, yeah, it's so dry out now, do I even want to plant yeah. yet? Yeah, 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 that's right, dude, that's right. So uh, I usually talk to guys who, who we, we are receiving some calls already about planting, and uh, I always tell tell the guys, just because uh, you want to do doesn't mean you should do, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> yes. well, it's very, it's very yeah, because I know they have a lot of acres to cover, but I don't think we have uh, now in some part of the state, we don't have the moisture enough to anticipate um, uh, planting. We got a, we got a decent amount of, of, of snow right now here, but the soil moisture is not, you know, that good for, 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 for put some seeds on the ground. And I, and uh, another thing is important, as you said before, in the in some way it's about what kind of the residue that you have in the previous crop so if we are talking about uh, soybean ground probably you uh, you know in the previous crop and uh, soybean residue you have a warmer temperature in the soil compared to a wheat stubble or or even a corn stubble so and then you can can start earlier but uh and Again, it depends on the crops that you're going to put in the rotation. I'm assuming uh, a wheat crop. So I would say confident in some part, in some part of, 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 of here in the region uh, after soybeans, you can take a risk after, after uh, uh, April 5th, April 10th, maybe it's possible. But again, it's, it's a kind of a tailor-made decision for each field and yes. each condition. Yeah, and, and each in each farm operation, how much how much risk they can take. Yeah. Some some like a young farmer, for example, eh, his banker might not be up for him taking a whole lot of risk. Where where a guy that's uh, been in it for a long time and doesn't have debt, uh, well, sure, you can take a little bit more risk. But man, there's so many things to to talk about in it. And you know, I look at the other thing in North Dakota that you have as more of a challenge there than other places in the U.S. 
is you're already planting the earliest season varieties that there are. So it isn't like if planting date gets past you, you're more likely to switch crops that you're growing than to switch a hybrid or something like that. Because if you're already planting a 75 to 75, 80-day hybrid, there aren't a whole lot of earlier choices to switch to. So I know that does sometimes force farmers' hands as to to what decision they're going to make. Hey, Leo, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate having you on today. Thanks for for your kind words, too, as we got started started and and good luck to you here as you head into this spring i know you get a little snow to melt up there but uh, it's going to take some moisture in some parts of north dakota too okay thank you so much for for having me here and uh, it was a pleasure and i wish all all of us uh, a great great crop season and uh, hope god blesses and uh, the mother nature could be more gentle with us okay? <laughs> yes yes well <laughs> said right. leo thank you so much thank you man bye-bye Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're talking about how early is too early to plant, and our phone lines are open as well. If you have an agronomic question or want to get in on this topic, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. 
Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Widearm Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Widearm Match from Corteva Agriscience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Aralax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. back you're listening to ag phd radio our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question it's 844-442-4743 or you can email us radio at agphd.com i uh, got a little bit of feedback brian on this early planting talk uh got a question in from eric in minnesota he said guys i'm wondering about the cold germination tests on seeds like corn for example what should i be looking for do i need to test everything that i get or do the companies do that testing for us the companies do the testing the problem is they won't tell you how the test results turn out and sometimes they'll ship out seed that has a lower cold cold germ score and take their chance so nope i wouldn't trust any seed company, I would test it myself. What you're looking for, ideally with corn, we usually talk about 85% as a minimum for a cold germination score and on soybeans, 80% for a minimum on the cold germ test. So that's what we're typically looking at for our farm. Oh, and by the way, the cold germ, there we're talking 50 degrees, whereas the warm germination test is run at 77 degrees, so quite frankly, that doesn't help out a lot of us. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's nice to know what it is at 77 degrees. That's going to give you at least a halfway decent indication of whether or not the seed will be good at a lower temperature, but it doesn't give you all the answers that you truly need. And quite frankly, I wish they would change the germination test in the future so it was run at a cold germ test, or they would require that on seed labels, but at this point, none of that is true. Well, the good thing about the cold germination test, so your standard cold germination test, is they can run, different labs can run that test and come up with the same results. It's been the challenge with the saturated cold test that you send it to one lab and they tell you it's 60% and you send it to the next lab and they tell you it's 90 And it just, there are so many variables in that that just aren't run the same. And we haven't seen those things correlate to performance in the field on a regular basis either. So that standard cold germ test, a little bit more reliable in terms of what you're going to see out in the field. But I know there's lots of them out there. I know there's a lab running an NPK cold test that puts a little bit of fertilizer into the mix as they're running the germ test just to see, uh, hey, farmers are putting starter fertilizer out there right in the furrow or pop-up fertilizer, I should say, and how does it, how is that going to influence things? That's a little tricky too, because what concentration are you going to put in that mix? There is a point where it's certainly going to going to kill the seed, so they got to be careful about that one. But I do like the standard cold test. I think that's pretty valuable stuff. All right. I got a question that came in from Geronimo over in Indiana. He said he's got terrible volunteer corn pressure in a field and just wondering if he's using the three pre's for his soybeans. Is there anything he can add to that or mix with it that won't necessarily have a ton of residual when he switches back to corn? Wait, wait, wait a second. He wants to. He wants to kill. Uh, he, he wants. He wants to know if there's anything that'll help him kill volunteer corn as he's putting his pre's out that won't have so much residual that'll hurt him next year when he plants corn there intentionally. Oh, next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, I would just say use the tree breeze. That, that yellow is going to really ding up the corn, but unfortunately it's not going to kill it. So what you're going to need to do and what we would advise anybody to do is be spraying twice post-emerge, or let me rephrase that, at least twice post-emerge with a good volunteer corn herbicide. And, and with those volunteer corn herbicides, they only have a few days residual, so it's no big deal. Don't have to worry about anything, but you've got to spray when it's small. When that volunteer corn just starts coming up, let's call it one to two inches tall. If you can hit it then, great. And then you come back again three weeks or four weeks later, hit it again because there will be more volunteer corn coming. So, yep, I'm starting with a yellow pre and two shots of and it's cheap. I mean, it does not cost a lot to throw some fusillade out there or something or secure or whatever. So, anyway, that's what I would do. All right. Uh, thank you, Geronimo. Appreciate the question. Got this one in from Clint, and he said, okay, here's my situation. I have an established fescue stand, and I need to put some nitrogen out there. I've got two choices. I can either do just straight 4600 urea, or I could do 3400 urea that has Nutrisphere N already on it. Do you think I need that protected form of N when I'm putting this out on an established fescue stand that could potentially take in nitrogen pretty quickly? Well, what kind of rate are we talking, though? If we're going to put on 20 pounds to 50 pounds, do you need it? No. If you're going to put on 100 to 200 pounds, it probably would be beneficial to have that stabilizer on there. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that go into this. The other thing would be rainfall. Is this irrigated? Uh, those types of things, too. If you've got just tremendous rainfall, and, and we had a question come in, I think, a week ago from Hawaii, and they're getting, what I forget what he said. They're saying uh, every 10 or 20 inches of rain, they're putting out more, more N, and they're putting out multiple applications because they get way over 100 inches of rain. Well, that's a way different situation than if, if you said, hey, I have an established grass stand in South Dakota and you're not going to get hardly any rain on it. Well, then, then yeah, you probably want to have that stabilizer on there. But I don't know. There's a lot of, and lot soil of, it's, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. And soil. Soil a big factor too. So, yeah, there, there are just some more things to think about there, Clint. Uh, you know, either way, if you had a rapidly growing crop that's going to take all the N out and you're putting a low rate of N, uh, you probably could get by without the stabilizer. But if you're putting a higher rate on that you want to last longer, the stabilizer sure sounds like a good idea. All right. I got this one in from DRA who says, guys, I'm wondering, are there any crops farmers actually still do pick by hand manually like a home gardener would? Uh, is there then there is no harvesting equipment made for it at all i'm just wondering if tomatoes are that way and if there are other crops you can think of that would be hand harvested i would assume there have to be other crops i just don't know really what they are yeah a lot of fruits and vegetables a lot of fruits and vegetables i know we were we were uh, at an apple orchard a few years back and and they were hand harvesting um yeah, you see, you see a lot of that. I know sweet corn. A lot of sweet corn ends up big operations. I'm sure that's it's done differently, but uh, many of the the roadside stands that you see, people will pick by hand. So yeah, there there are a lot of crops. Tomatoes, I, I believe, to get picked by hand. But there's there's probably exceptions to all these things. But I, I think a lot of the fruits and vegetables still do get picked by hand. Hey, thanks for the question, DRA. Really appreciate that. Uh, got this one in. 
from, oh, here, good, good feedback here. This came in from Joshua. He said, guys, uh, I've called into your show several times in the past. Love your show. I heard you guys talking about the human waste being used for fertilizer. And I wanted to comment on this because I actually do biosolid applications. So I'm well-versed in this topic and just wanted to clear the air up. We often run up, up against significant public ops- opposition to what we do. And just so you know, the... The studies have shown the pharmaceutical effects in crops uh, or, or even the eventual consumption by livestock and humans is, is pretty minimal at best. The studies that have been done, one most recently by the National Center of Biotechnology, showed very insignificant effects, if any, uh, from some of the common pharmaceutical products they were testing for. Hey, thanks, Josh. We really appreciate that. I know we had that question come up yesterday, and, uh, and some of it... Um, is like you say, when there's public opposition, people can can post whatever they want to post and whatever their opinion is, whether it's backed yep. by fact or not. So really appreciate you referencing right, studies. Where, right. But that's where yesterday you brought that up, Darren. And I said, boy, I am not concerned about that at all, because I have looked at those studies and there's just, there's not enough that's that's going to be out there. Number one. And number two, is the plant really going to suck that up? And now all of a sudden the plant has antibiotics in it? No, no way. No, not happening. So I'm not worried about that at all. We just have to treat that human waste just like we would treat animal waste. We need to test for heavy metals and we need to test for nutrient content so we're not overdoing anything. And then we're in good shape. Yep. And then you have to treat it like it's fertilizer. And if you're going to lay it on top of the ground and you're going to get rain, you're going to lose some of it. So you want to make sure you're putting it in the soil, if at all possible, just to to keep it safe from any erosion. And also, if there's going to be odor like there would be with with livestock manure, uh, it's always best if it's underneath the soil. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll be right back with more of the Ag PhD mailbag after this. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. (sighs) Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit FelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPhD, we have some good news for you. 
If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us as well, radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, you had made a comment about, uh, I'm trying to think exactly how you said this, but you were talking about 40 million years ago, the carbon dioxide level was 40 times what today's level is. Does that sound right? Uh, no, it, it wasn't that high. But anyway, what, what's the question? Okay, but anyway, you had said long, long ago the carbon dioxide level Four. was higher than it is today. Four yeah, times. It's higher than it is today. Okay, Four okay. Times. So that Paul right. so uh, Paul wrote in and wanted to talk about this a little bit. He said, I agree with you on one thing and on, on another thing uh, I don't. And, and the thing he didn't agree on was the carbon dioxide level. He said all the research that he had found – uh, had found the carbon dioxide was not over 2,400 parts per million, not the 16,800 that we were claiming if we said 40 times today's level. So maybe we misspoke on the 40. Uh, maybe maybe it wasn't quite that much. But whoa, 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 whoa. I never said 40. Four times today's level. I've okay. said that probably okay. 10 so times on the show in the last two months. This is research that's absolutely out there. It, it can be found uh, online somewhere if you just do a little bit of searching. All right, so if it so was the whole four, point it was, the hold Earth's on. temperature was warmer back then, and we had way more carbon dioxide in the air, and my point was just the Earth is still here. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Sorry. So, so let's just take a zero off the 16,800, he said, and call it 1680, and he said one model showed it at as high as 2,400. So maybe we're on the same page there, Paul. Maybe there was just a, a, a misunderstanding on that part. He said the other question, he said, it's not really if the Earth survived. Obviously it did. Uh, even if the temperature was to rise 100 degrees Celsius, the Earth would still be here. Uh, the question is, would mankind be here if if uh, the polar ice caps all melted and all those things? The sea, basically, the levels were up to 78 feet higher than today, which would mean, like in New York City, for example, the water would be up to the fifth or sixth floor. Uh, Miami would be below sea level and so forth. Uh, he said, uh, to be fair, though, one comment I do agree with you guys on 
Uh, and you deserve attaboys for is pointing out that methane is worse than carbon dioxide. So I do enjoy your show. I listen to it uh, at least a couple times a week while I'm on my commute. Hey, thanks, Paul. We really appreciate the the feedback, and thanks for for your support too. Yeah, Brian, that that is interesting. You know, as we get more carbon dioxide in the air, the important thing I like to think about is plants breathe in carbon dioxide, put carbon in the soil, and release oxygen for us. So we get more carbon dioxide levels. More plant growth is the answer to, to solving this carbon or climate issue. Okay. Okay. So we've talked about this several times in the last couple of months. And just so we're clear on this, we're not saying anything about humankind at all with the carbon dioxide levels or there's temperature or anything. I don't know, and no one knows, if humankind would still be here. But a lot of people are saying the, the, the earth is going to end, the world's going to end. It's like, no, it's not. The world's not going to end, okay? So let's just be clear on that, first of all. And then as far as this carbon dioxide thing, if our, our whole point that we were trying to get at is, okay, whether you believe in the, the global warming thing or not, some people do, some don't. The fact of the matter is, if you want less carbon dioxide out there, well, that means we have to have more plants that are pulling more carbon dioxide out of the air. If you're going to have higher yields, you will pull more carbon dioxide in. That's just a fact. And also, if you want to store more in the soil, then that means you have to build up soil organic matter. That is also a fact. So I don't understand why all these people that are all worried about the climate change thing aren't coming to us farmers and saying, hey, farmers, please use more fertilizer properly, use more pesticides properly, so you can raise better crops. And also, here's a few trillion dollars to improve your genetics to raise better crops. And then we're going to incentivize you to build your soil's organic matter. And if you can prove that you can build your soil's organic matter, we're going to pay you crazy amounts of money. Okay, That's our whole point here is we as farmers are the ones who have the answer. Or let me rephrase that. Anyone who grows plants and lots of them has the answer to this thing. So there's some people out there that just want to talk about trees. Well, trees are great, but you can't raise trees everywhere and have food for people and animals. So you've got to have some crops. And for those of us who farm, we, we absolutely can pull more carbon dioxide in. We can store more carbon dioxide. And I just don't understand why there's this enormous disconnect now. Even like ethanol, we talk about ethanol all the time. Why would you not want to have more ethanol? It'd be amazing for the planet. If we went 50% ethanol in the United States, our air would be so much cleaner. It'd be unbelievable. But people are gullible, and they'll listen to anything that the oil companies and, and the mainstream media will say, and all of a sudden they're bad-mouthing ethanol. Are you nuts? I mean, it's, it's literally alcohol. It's so unbelievably safe. It's crazy, and it can be grown in this country, and it's fantastic for the environment. So anyway, just there's uh, there's so much horrible information out there. Please don't be gullible to it. Get the facts and then go from there. But once you do, you're going to find out farmers have the answer to all of these environmental problems. We're here to help. But you can't villainize us for doing good things and saying they're bad things. 
All right, let's jump on to the next question here. And there's there's a few parts to this question, Brian. This comes from Ross over in Wisconsin. And I, I think it's it's exciting. When people get new equipment, they want to use it. They want to use it a lot. And uh, they want to use it in the best way. And that's exactly the case here with Ross. He said, we farm in southwest Wisconsin, been doing strip till and Y drop for years, as well as fungicide applications. Crops keep getting better. Overall, we're happy. This year, we're making a big change with our planter. We're going to put a two-by-two system on both sides of the row. We plan to deliver using the conceal system, which I'm excited about. We're also adding yield 360 waves, which can add fertilizer three-quarters of an inch from the seed. Now, I'm thinking for corn, we're going to run a basic mix uh, with nitrogen, ammonium thiosulfate, and zinc. I'm wondering, what else would you recommend in that mix? Would you recommend crop removal of, of the other nutrients, even if they're high in the soil? Well, I usually will recommend, if we're doing a band program, crop removal of everything, all the nutrients, unless you've got something that I wouldn't call high, I would say is excessive in the soil. If you've got something excessive in the soil, then, yeah, there's no point putting any more of that on. But high to me might mean something different than high to you. So that's where I just term it excessive. Okay, oh, Ross here's is... the other thing. Oh. If, you're, if, you, if you're renting ground, I think this is a fantastic strategy. If you own the ground, it's still a good strategy. But if, let's say you had really super high fertility levels and you don't mind keeping them that way, just broadcast or using manure, however you want to do it, you're not going to gain tremendous amounts by by having a whole bunch of stuff two by two and just off the seed and everything else. Like I say, if your fertility levels are already super high. Okay, second part of the question, he said, so if... I'm wondering, how would you spread the fertilizer out between the conceal on the right, the conceal on the left, and the wave? Would you do a third of the fertilizer with each? It seems like there might be some benefit getting some closer to the seed, but of course there's risks with that. So would you do a third, a third, a third, or would you do it a little different? All depends on how much I'm putting on. So getting close to the seed, I'm probably only going to look at two to five gallons. And then whatever's left, I'm going to split it 50-50 on, on the left and the right. So if, let's say, I was trying to put 40 gallons on, well, then it's going to be way more than a third, a third, a third, right? Way more than a third and a third on the left and the right. Whereas if I'm only putting eight gallons on, then, yeah, I mean, it probably would be a third, a third, a third. All right, then his last question is, what about in soybeans? Could he still use this system? How much fertilizer would you be comfortable with? They were thinking they could shut the two-by-two off and run more stuff through the wave if they wanted to target in-furrow-type products. Just curious what we would do. Nope, I'd do the opposite. So I would run a very tiny amount in the middle, if any, maybe zero to be in the safe side, and then I'd go 50-50 with whatever else I want to do outside. But you're still going to have to use lower rates, beans versus corn. Yep, I agree. I would play it safe as well, Ross. I I would not be doing much close to that seed. Unless you're talking about, hey, I want to put biologicals out there and that type of stuff, then absolutely, I have no issue with that. But most of those products will work just fine in the 2 by 2 also. So uh, I would probably err to the side of just keeping stuff as far away from the seed as I could. Hey, thanks for the questions and good luck with your new equipment this year. It should be fun uh, learning about that and, and hopefully seeing some big differences in your crop. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. Uh, enjoyed the show today and uh, be sure to join us again each weekday.